Two years ago, the first time I came, you had just started the journey of looking for God's man for this church. And uh, I remember a lot of you kind of had that look of what's going on and what do we do now? But you just trusted the Lord. Last year I came right at the end of that journey, uh, just two weeks before your pastor came. And I saw some of you out there had a look of, God delivered and God never fails. Then this year I'm back with you and I'm glad to be here. And uh, one year, almost one year in, and I hear nothing but good things about what the Lord is doing within your church, and I see a great enthusiasm that is here, but I bring you greetings all the way from Victorville, California, and I know that is not off the face of the earth. Some, most of you probably know where that is, it's not too far away, but whenever we're on vacation, I say we're from Victorville, and they say, where is that? And I said, have you ever been in L.A.? Yes. I said, people from L.A. drive to Las Vegas, and it's where they stop for something to drink on the way going up to Las Vegas. That's us. So whenever you stop, that's where we're at. Uh, But God has been good here, and God's been good to us up there. I wanted to give you a quick report on what the Lord's doing. Over the last three weeks, we had three families join the church, aside from those we've had several who've been baptized. And what was great about it is the first were family about in the age bracket that my wife and I are in. And then on Easter Sunday, we had a young couple join the church and an older couple join the church. The young couple in their 20s, 30s, have a one-year-old baby, and the older couple in their 80s. And here's the great part, and this this is one of the sweetest things I've ever watched in my life, but the couple that a young couple have been married longer than the couple in their 80s. The couple in their 80s just got married four months ago. They came to me a few months ago. Now, here I am. I'm half their age. I'm 41 years of age. They come to me, and they sit down in front of me, and they, this was several months ago. They said, Pastor, we'd like to get married. What do you think? And uh, they're both widows. And I said, great, go for it. I mean, I didn't know what else advice to give them. And uh, they sensed it was the Lord's will, so they did. Here's the great part. Here's what I loved. I'd never seen this at a wedding before, and I hope to see it again, just two fine older folks in the church. They got married. I sang at their wedding. When they walked out, she walked out with her bouquet, beautiful uh, kind of a lavender-colored dress on. Her hair was all done. When they got married, they walked out. She had the bouquet in one arm. Her other arm was like this. Her new groom had his arm and hers, and in his other hand, he was dragging his oxygen tank behind him. And I thought, that is the best thing I've seen in a long, long time. But they joined the church and three couples that way, because one of the great things about the church, your church and our church, really it's the Lord's church, the great thing is, doesn't matter our age, doesn't matter our background, doesn't matter the color of our skin, doesn't matter our nationality, because it is Christ who is over all. And I love this. I brought up your bulletin with me. I love your theme. Look up, look in, look out. I want to focus today on those two words, look in. I'd like you to take your Bible to the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 5, and then have your fingers ready because we're going to go to a couple of other places. We'll primarily be here, but a couple of other places that I'd like you to see this morning. going to be very uh, simple. If you will remember four words, you'll remember the message and you'll be in great shape. First Peter chapter 5, for the sake of our time, if you'll look with me just for right now at verse number 2, and there our Bibles will say this, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Now, I'd like you to go back to the top of the verse, it's probably the very first line of the verse in your Bible, 
the top of verse number 2, 1 Peter chapter 5, and let's just look at those first few words again, feed, and then these four words that I want you to remember today, the flock of God. Father, I pray that you would bless the time that we have, might you use it to build us up in your truth, Father, to conform us to the image of Christ, that we would leave here today walking with you in an even stronger way, with greater passion for you, for your things, for your heart, Father, and that we would follow you in every way and uh, that we would follow you wholeheartedly. Bless us, dear church. Be with their pastor while he's away this morning. Bring them back very safely and watch over them as they travel. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Trust me, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence because they're going to be very, very simple questions, but I'm asking you those questions because we're going to build to something. So if you'll work with me, look again at verse number two, our focus words, the flock of God, and I want you to look at the words, the flock, and I want to ask you a very basic, very simple question, who is the flock? Jerry has his hand up, so would you follow Jerry's lead there? All of you, put your hand up. If you're a part of, of Grace Baptist Church, put your hand up. You are the flock, the church, the local church. Our flock, and I asked my dad if he would preach today while I'm away, and they're gathering, and they're in the right towards the end of the offering, because we know exactly what time everything's happening, it seems like, there. In your church, you stand up, you sit down, you know you know the routine. So I know about where we're at in the church routine, so to, so to, so to speak, the service routine. And the flock that is up there, who is the flock? The local church. Now, let me ask you another question. And again, very basic, but we're building to something. Not who, but what? What is a flock? What is a flock composed of? Now, within the local church, that's you, that's people. And if you don't mind, I kind of wander around a little bit when I speak, and I like to get a little bit closer to you. So who, that's the local church. But let me ask you this. What is a flock? Now, I mean in its very basic sense, if you go out and you find a flock in this sense as God is describing it, what, what beings, what, what, uh, what animals would you find? Sheep. When the Bible says, feed the flock of God, it's speaking of this, feed the sheep. Now, we're not going to focus on the word feed today. We're going to focus on the flock of God. But let me just throw something out to you. When God calls us, and I'm a sheep, though it's kind of a unique thing God does, is that from among the sheep, God calls an under-shepherd to pastor. But it's his church. We'll see that. But we are his sheep. I love Psalm 23, verse number one. The Lord is my shepherd. I love the fact that in the Bible, it doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd, the Lord is one shepherd. No, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm going to challenge you to do something this week as a Christian. Would you take some time this week and would you mull that over? Would you meditate on just that phrase, the Lord is, and when you say it, I encourage you, emphasize the word my shepherd shepherd. But here when the Lord is speaking to his people, he is referring to us as sheep. So I'm not going to put you down. I'm going to put all of us down a little bit. I have all my fingers this way. When God calls us sheep, stay with me now and don't get offended and don't run out the back door. He's not calling us something impressive. We're not walking around going, hey, you know what? I'm a sheep. <laughs> it would have been great if the Lord would have said, you're the lions of the pride. Feed the lions. 
That would have been great. Take care of the bear cubs. That would have been wonderful. It didn't say anything like that. It says, feed the flock the sheep. Now, when you, when you consider that, God is not talking about who we are. God is emphasizing what? Well, you're going to come to those next two words. What did it say? The flock. What are those next two words? Of God. When the Lord speaks of the flock, what we're to look at is this. It's not about us. It's about Him. Because here's the difficult part. I I said to be a sheep, to be the flock, it's not an impressive term. It's not giving us the name of an animal to which we'd say, yeah, we're that. No, we're sheep. Sheep, listen now, cannot exist without the shepherd. Not only will they not thrive, not only will they not be strong, but without the shepherd, sheep would not last. Our whole existence, our whole life is based upon the shepherd. And I just want to give you some, some practical things about the sheep and, and warning signs for sheep of which all of us are. I include myself in this. I've not been in ministry as long as some, and I've been in ministry longer than others. But in two plus decades of ministry, I've seen, and this is, this is just my observation, and I give this to you maybe for your encouragement, your help. I've seen about five things that I've said here and I've seen. Here's where sheep get themselves into trouble. Number one, write this down if you'd like, but number one, unresolved sin. Unresolved sin. How many of you have been saved long enough to figure out that Christians still sin? Now, it's not to be a lifestyle. It's not to be our pattern of sin. But Christians will still fail. But what I said was this, unresolved sin. Now, I grew up in Bellflower. And in Bellflower, they have weeds, much like you have weeds here. And they are little, tiny, little clover weeds. And I remember when I was a boy, my dad would say, Joel, go out, and I want, you to, I want you to pull the weeds. That was a simple job. I'd go out, and I'd start pulling the weeds, and I had this, this little tool, had kind of like a little spade on the back, a little fork on the front, and I'd just take the little spade, and I'd get down to my hands and knees, and I'd just scrape and scrape, and scrape, and I'd put in the bucket, and I'd throw away, and in half an hour, I was done. There were just little clover weeds that would grow up, and I was happy. We moved to the desert. There are no weeds like that in the desert. I've looked, and I was looking for a job, and I was still living at home with mom and dad years ago, and so dad said, I'll pay you some extra money if you go out and pull the weeds. I thought, no problem. I discovered desert weeds are slightly different slightly larger, and slightly better rooted. And I found something, once those, we call them out, we call them tumbleweeds, but whatever the weed would be that would grow up, is the longer that it takes root, the more difficult it is, and the stronger it's taken hold in our lives. That's why the Lord would tell us in Hebrews to run the race The Bible says, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. There can be things that take root in our life that will discourage us, harm us, and hinder us as a sheep. Secondly, I've seen for sheep that they have a lack of forgiveness. We'll see one sheep get upset with another sheep. And here's the issue most of the time, not in every case, 
But most of the time, we get in a place, and don't shoot darts at me and don't throw tomatoes, but most of the things over which we will not forgive another Christian generally started with something small. But it continued over a process of time to grow. And we develop a spirit of a lack of forgiveness. I've seen this as well. Number three, and it's very close to the lack of forgiveness, but it is holding on to petty problems. There are big issues that come into life, but most of what holds us back are the small things. Number four, I've seen this, a critical spirit. A critical spirit. And number five, a desire for credit. And that takes, takes me back to those words, the flock of God. I ask you this question, whose flock is it? It's God's flock. This all belongs to Him, so everything that happens, God gets the glory for it. When God builds the church, it's God who does it. God works through humans and human instrumentality, but when God works, it is God who deserves the credit. Never take from the Lord what rightfully belongs to Him and all the glory, all the praise, all the honor rightfully and dutifully belongs to God. But I ask you, who's the flock? We are. But I want to ask you this, and we've, we've kind of asked this already, but another simple question for you. Whose flock is it? It's God's flock. And who is the shepherd? The Lord is the shepherd of the sheep. And I'd like you to write down three more words. I'd like you to write down the word good. I'd like you to write down the word great. And I'd like you to write down the word chief. Good, great, and chief. And I'd like you to take your Bibles and stay here in 1 Peter because we'll come back. But take your Bible to John chapter 10, if you would, please. Just one verse. Because there are three ways in the New Testament that our Lord is described as a shepherd or as the shepherd of His sheep. And every one of them have an attribute or something about Christ that helps us see how wonderful He is, how good He is, and how much praise He rightfully deserves. John chapter 10, I want you to look at verse number 10 and verse number 11. And there the Bible says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am. Now time out. Who is the I am? Christ is the I am. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Did you know something, Christian? God didn't just give you life He's given you life that is more abundant. God never, think of this, God never does just enough. God is the God of more than enough. He is the God to whom we pray, and we can pray to the God who does exceeding abundantly above all that we would ever ask or think. Not just life, but life more abundant. But I want you to see verse number 11. And you're going to come to that word good because verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. Now here's the quality. Here's the quality of our Lord and Savior that I want you to see. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He is the good shepherd and in that thought, he gave himself for you. If there are things that sadden me about Christianity, is that sometimes we think about what's most important far too little. Little. 
We observed and celebrated Easter a few weeks ago. Here's something that I've tried to emphasize to our church family. Every time we gather on a Sunday, listen to this now, every time we gather on a Sunday, it is a celebration of the risen Savior. That's why we gather together on a Sunday. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And we remember His death, His burial, His resurrection for us. And then Sarah says He gave Himself for the sheep. Think of this. And the fact that He gave Himself for us, the flock, we, His sheep, the flock are His passion. Christ doesn't just love you. He loves you beyond anything you could ever imagine. I want you to consider this. I want you to think about this in the fact that we are the passion of the Lord. In that when He gave Himself, you've perhaps seen the pictures of Christ extended on the cross and there's just a trickle of blood here and a trickle of blood here and a trickle of blood down by the feet and a few lacerations. You go and you read the story of what Jesus did for us. And you look into that, and it says that, think about this, our Savior, the one who gave Himself for us, our Savior was beaten. Think of that. His beard, the Bible says, was plucked from His very cheeks and His very chin. They mocked Him. Now you consider this. Think of this. Literally, the Bible tells us that they spat human saliva on the God who created them. And then they took him and they wrapped him and they wrapped his body in what would have been around basically a, a thick pole so that his back would lay bare and they whipped him with what we would many times call a cat of nine tails, often a whip with nine prongs coming off of it, into which, and I won't get too graphic with you, but into which you think of this, that they beat him and they whipped him with this, likely shards of glass and of rock and of metal and of stone tied in there so it would tear at his flesh. Then they placed a robe on his back. They placed a reed in his hand and they mocked him again. And then they took the robe off that freshly beaten back and then they ripped the robe right off of his back. Forced him to carry the cross as long as he could until another came when he physically no longer could and took his place and carried the cross to Calvary. And then our Lord and Savior, after all of that, willingly laid down His life on the cross, was spiked in the wrists and in the feet, and then hung between heaven and earth, and the blood poured out of His body. Why? Because, think of this, because He loves you. We are the very passion of the Lord and Savior. He's the Good Shepherd. But not only are we His passion, we are His possession. Acts chapter number 20 says that we were purchased with the blood of Christ, the local church. What a beautiful thought in that we belong to Him. Now I told you I like to come down. I hope I'm not messing up the mic system by moving around a little bit. But right over there are three boys. There's Aaron and Drew and Caleb. I cannot deny any one of them. I can't deny my sister either. That's why I grew a beard. No, that's not why I grew a beard. 
Now, you understand this. Biblically, they don't really belong to me. The Bible says children are in heritage. They really belong to the Lord. They're given to me for a time to bring up in the nurture and admonition of God. So I hope you understand in this illustration, I'm speaking of the human sense. Right now in their lives, pretty much everywhere I or their mom go, with a few exceptions, they go. Hence, they're with me today. In the human sense, they're mine. I give fair warning to everybody. You mess with them. And you parents understand this. You mess with them. Who have you messed with? My wife is up and she leads our choir. I leaned over to my niece there, Kaylin, and she said, oh, Aunt Becky, Aunt Kelly didn't come. And I said, no, I said, the church needs her there more than they need me on a Sunday. She's up leading the choir. She's my wife. God brought us together. They too shall be one flesh. Now consider this. She truly belongs to God, but in an earthly sense, I am called to protect her, to care for her, to nurture her, to love her. And just like I said with my boys, you mess with my wife. Who have you messed with? Case in point, I don't know if my boys know this or not. I was driving behind my wife home from church. We never go to church together. Well, I shouldn't say never. About three times a year, we'll drive to church together. One night I was driving home behind him and a car was pushing up behind her. Guess what I wanted to do? I'm going to push up behind you, bub, see how you feel. And you say, but you're a pastor, but I'm still a man. And I had to hold myself back because at some point that fellow, whoever it was, got frustrated, whipped around her and then did the zip right in front. You've been there before just to kind of teach the person a lesson? You know what I wanted to do? You're going to get a taste of your own medicine. And then God did two things. One, you might do something. That guy's going to walk into church next Sunday morning. <laughs> Number two, the Lord said, son, I didn't build you 6'5", 250. Knock it off. <laughs> but there was something within me that said, she's my wife, I'm going to watch over her. Now think of something, I mentioned my children, I mentioned my wife, we as God's people, we are the bride of Christ. You think the Lord's not going to watch over and care for us? God's going to take care of His church. I've had my dad, my dad, most of you know, many, some of you know that my dad's been a pastor for many years. One great bit of advice that he would say to me, and I'd go to him and I'd say, we got this going on, and he'd say, well, Joel, I've learned this little thing. If God can't handle it, there's certainly nothing I can do about it. And I thought, that's good stuff. I'm going to remember that one. And so now somebody comes to me, and somebody I've, I have guys that are younger than me that now text me, and they text me a problem. And I said, you know something I've learned? If God can't take care of it, I've done, I've done the exact same thing. You know what? I found that to be true. This is His so not only does all the glory belong to him, but you know something? God is going to care for it. But I want you to take your Bible now to Hebrews 13. We're working our way back to the text. But I want you to see Hebrews 13. And I ask you to write down three words, good and great and chief. And I want you to see in Hebrews 13, 
For the sake of our time, just verse number 20. Hebrews 13, verse number 20, you're going to find another description and another attribute of our Savior. And in it, verse 20, says, now the God of peace, what a great thought that is, that brought again, look at this now if you're there, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now I ask you, good shepherd, now you see great shepherd. What's the description of the great shepherd? The great shepherd rose again. Consider this. Jesus stayed in a temporary tomb. Three days. He was beaten. He was crucified He died. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, He rose again from the grave triumphant over all, over everything, over sin and death and hell and the grave. Which speaks to something else. The great shepherd speaks of the power of the shepherd. He is a living shepherd and that He is active in the church. And we won't go there, but I want you to consider this. In Revelation 2 and 3, there are letters that were delivered to seven churches. Perhaps you've heard of them before. Churches like Ephesus, Laodicea, Philadelphia. And yes, I do believe they speak to seven periods of the church age. But I also believe this, and they were. They were seven actual churches, and that was their actual condition in that day. And I believe this, in any church age, you'll see all of those types of churches in it. The descriptions that are given. But in the fact that they were seven actual churches, stay with me here, the Lord said something. He is a living shepherd, but He's also a knowing shepherd. Because our Savior said this to every church, I know thy works. I know thy works. Not just what's going on on the outside, because some of the churches that were written to had everything right on the outside, but the Lord says, I know thy works, and here are some things that I'm not pleased with. Oh, you have this, and you have this, and you have this, but here are some things. Only a couple of the churches to which the Lord gave no criticism of, gave no admonishment to correct this. To the others, there was this, and there was this, and there was this. Why? Because He knows His church. Think of something, Grace Baptist. God knows you. But beyond that, in His power, and in His love, and in His goodness, He cares for you. He is a concerned shepherd. You see, Jerry, He knows the frustration you have with that knee right now. And some of you out there physically, He knows the frustration you have physically. Some of you right now, deep inside your heart, right now, deep inside your heart, there are burdens that you're bearing that perhaps your spouse knows about, but likely nobody else in your life knows about. The Lord cares about that emotional struggle you have. Right now, there are families, there are couples, there are individuals right now in this church that financially you're bearing a burden. You're looking at the bank account and month after month, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And as bank accounts get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, by the direction of my hands, which way does our stress level go? 
bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But the Lord says, I know all about it. Here's your responsibility. Trust me, obey me, and follow me. But now I want you to see one more. It's the final one. He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. But I want you to go back to our text in 1 Peter. And I want you to look at chapter 5. And verse number 4 says this. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, in particular, I could ask you this. Who is the flock? We are. Whose flock is it? It's God's flock. And who is being spoken to? Well, primarily here in this passage, the ones being spoken to are pastors. And I'm just going to take a minute, but without him being here today, I want to encourage you to do some things. I want you to pray for your pastor. I want you to pray for his family, pray for his children, pray for his wife. Because to pastor is a unique and huge responsibility in his life. And it's huge to his family. And the Bible speaks of rewards and it speaks of the chief shepherd. It's speaking directly here to leaders within the church. I want you to pray for your pastor. Do something else. I want you to encourage your pastor. Encourage your pastor. All the problems that go on, you say, there are problems in the church? Yes, I'm a pastor. There are problems in a church. Pastors, consider this please, bear the burden of those problems with them wherever they go. They, they know the struggles. They know the heartaches. But you know what is sometimes rare in the heart of a pastor? Is to have somebody come up to the pastor and just say, Pastor, I want you to know something. I love you and I'm praying for you and I thank God for you. You would do a world of good in the heart of your pastor to encourage him. Because he bears with himself a huge responsibility of the calling of God. But I also believe in here, when it speaks of the chief shepherd, it speaks of the rewarder. And in all of our lives,